I wish our listeners could hang out with us in the room as we get these episodes ready, because you think it would be very simple to just click record and then click play on an audio track that releases some amazing bumper music. Um, and it is. But we yes. managed. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Think uh, you would, would be think, simple. You'd think that, wouldn't you, Chris? <laughs> but somehow we managed to find our own challenges. You know, life's boring if it's easy and simple all the time. You have to challenge yourself. This is what I keep hearing. Challenge yourself. Find ways to grow as an individual. That's what I'm doing here on the Rec Poker Podcast every week, just nailing those audio cues like a professional. Um, my name's Jim Reed. I'm Blusterini in the home games, and I go by at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter, which is where I love to hang out. Uh, so come at me there and uh, join in the fun. If you don't know about Rec Poker, uh, thanks for listening. First off, uh, we're a group of very enthusiastic recreational amateur poker fans. We love playing poker. We love learning about poker. We love talking about poker. Um, Chris Jones might be obsessed to the point of not quite having a healthy relationship with poker. Um, it's just, it's what we love. We're very passionate about it. We love sharing that love with the world. And that's what we do here at Rec Poker for recreational poker players who like to have fun. So I got to thank our sponsors uh, like the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Mark Brashan over at Website Amp, because most of what we do here is free. Uh, like I say, we're a largely volunteer organization and uh, having the support from sponsors like that makes all the difference in the world. Um, having our premium members who chip in 15 bucks a month every month to help us keep the lights on and to keep bringing uh, all this amazing stuff that we do in the forums and the website, on Discord, on YouTube. Um, it's just, it's, it warms my heart every time we get a chance to get together and talk poker. So, uh, I'd like to introduce some of our wrecking crew members. These are the core team that are involved in a lot of the content creation and curation here at rec poker. They're very involved. They're, they're fanatics, they're zealots, and we love having them on the team here at rec poker. And if you want to find out more about them, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now. Well, I am the obsessive one, Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 on the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. You can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore Moss or in the uh, Rec Poker home game as GopherboyTJM. And I got to say, I'm really happy that we can all unmute ourselves here, because if you were in charge of this gym, man, this would have taken forever, forever <laughs> to get unmuted to do these intros. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm doing my best, Taylor. Why are you always so mean to me? <laughs> no, I, I'm just pointing out that I'm really happy at how this is set up so we can all contribute. <laughs> <laughs> yes well uh yeah we it takes a village over here and uh and we have a little fun along the way um taylor is one of those people that i really like to make fun of because he can take it as well as he can give it and uh it's just it's, it's it's so much fun we got to spend a few nights staying at the wonderful flamingo hotel and we were both down there for the wsop for a while so we got to share a room got to know each other and uh we got to know each, each other's snores sound like and, uh, you know, got to talk some strategy and I had a great time with that as well. So that was a fun time, Taylor. Thanks for that. Um, every week, 
we we pull up <laughs> like i said we're here on the forums edition of the rec poker podcast every week we take a hand from the forums uh they're again completely free come check us out at rec.poker all it takes is an email address and a smile and um nothing makes me happier than when we get to welcome one of our premium members here on the show uh you don't have to be a premium member to post in the forums that's free uh, but you do have to be a premium member to come join us on the podcast. So we've got John Crowell, who's uh, one of my favorite premium members. He's been very active in our strategy conversations over the last few months, uh, probably longer than that. And I'm I'm getting back from Vegas and everything seems like it was just a week ago. But holy cow, it's already midway through July. And uh, John, you've been participating in our strategy conversations for months and months by now. Uh, isn't that true? How long have you been a member here at RecPro? I've been uh, a premium member since November. Yeah. Well, it's great. I can tell you've, you've hit your stride. I love uh, hearing from you when we get together almost every night, talk yeah. about something to do with the poker world. Uh, we're lucky to have you, my friend. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. We're looking at a hand. Um, this is near and dear to my heart, of course, because it's a cash game. Um, so this, if you go to rec.poker slash forums, you can look up this hand. It's called Folding Top Set on the Flop. And it's a very interesting spot in a live cash game. Uh, and you're playing one, two at an eight-handed table. Um, so why don't you take us through the post a little bit, John, and just uh, what what made this an interesting position and uh, and why you posted in the forums here. Okay. Um, so... As you said, it's a it's a one two game, and the max buy in is three hundred dollars. But it's a little bit unusual here in that everybody in the hand that's involved has less than that three hundred dollar buy in, and I'm actually the uh, top stack with about two hundred and forty dollars. There you go. Uh, I'm in the cutoff with a pair of tens, and the under the gun opens for seven dollars, which is his standard raise. And uh, under the gun plus one calls. There's two folds to me. And I decide to raise that to $35. I get uh, two more folds. And the button also calls the $35. Then under the gun one call, uh, under the gun calls the 35 and under the gun one also calls the 35. So now pre-flop, there's $140 in the pot. Um, the, and we're four-handed, if I'm reading this correctly. There is, uh, uh, I think it's the big blind that came along, the under-the-gun razor, under-the-gun plus one, and then you uh, uh, with your pocket tens, right? Correct. Okay, yep. fantastic. Um, and the flop comes down 8, 9, 10. Hello. Rainbow, uh, is it a rainbow? No, there's there's two clubs on the board. Nope, it is rainbow. Oh yeah, rainbow right. looks like yeah, it. That's okay. Rainbow, yeah. And yep. that's that's the the first thing that comes into my mind is finally. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, surprising to me, the um, the big blind opens for twenty five, and the under the gun who has previously let it know been known let it known that he's a pro um <laughs> he decides to raise that to 65 now well now when you say that they've let it known 
that they're a pro. There's mm-hmm. there's two kinds of people that do that, yep. <laughs> and only one of them is are actually good at poker. So how how did they how did they, how did it become known that they were a pro? It was sort of a side conversation um, that he was having with somebody else um, about his winnings over the last month and um, how often he is there playing and and sort of um, how he rates other players and that okay. type of thing. So he definitely um, thinks of himself as a pro. Yes. Uh, Unusual for a pro to come to the table with like $90 at a Well, he didn't he didn't come to the table with that. He came to the table with 300. Okay. Right. But he has had some misfortune. He's uh, I wouldn't say he's played hands wrong. He's just gotten the, the worst part of the variance. I th- it's a little bit unusual for him not to have topped off. Yeah. 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 Um but but for whatever reason, I, I, I should also mention that he and another player at the table are basically just killing time waiting to go to a 510 table. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And they've yeah. made that abundantly clear. Right. Uh, okay. So. Yeah. Cause I'm always kind of the people who like tell you how cool they are or how, t- or yeah. how tough they are, you know, like. Yeah, it wasn't. Mm. It wasn't in that manner okay. or that sort of. He wasn't up bragging about it. It okay. just kind of was a side yeah. conversation that I picked up on. Yeah, Rob might be why he didn't uh, top up if he's just waiting to get into another game. Yeah, might just say, "Well, I'll just let this go, and well, I'll wait till I get into that other game before I put any more money on the table." Yep, and in fact, the other game had, was just one short of getting going. So okay. Um, and so he raises to 65, which is all in. And right. under the gun, plus one, who I will describe as a very aggressive player, but in a controlled manner. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's not spewing chips. He's, he's applying pressure in what appear to be proper situations. He comes over the top and shoves for 180. So now, now it's back to me with top set. And at this point, uh, the, the big blind player still has to close the action. Correct. The under the gun player has shoved and the under the gun plus one player has overshoved. Correct. Um, okay. That's interesting because those, okay. they should have pretty tight ranges at the beginning of this hand, you know, like the under the gun player, that that's in the next to the small blind. That's the tightest position. And I know a lot of players under the gun plus one might not even have a three betting range against an under the gun open. So they're going to be calling there with a lot of their stronger hands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. So that's interesting. And then it's eight, nine, 10 is the flop. And I mean, we all love flopping sets, but there is an element of, Really, you know, did did of all the flops of all the boards that have a ten on them, did it have to come three to a straight on there? Um, I'm sure that's exactly what was at the forefront of your mind in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, from from my type of play, I would not have made that second all in that hundred and eighty dollar all in bet without having that straight. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not saying that better players than me couldn't make that bet, but in my mind, I was sure that at least one of the two of them had that straight 
And if they didn't, I still had the big button, uh, the, the, big blind. the big blind behind me who also possibly had that straight because he opened, albeit for a small amount into a, into a big pot. But uh, That's a good point. Because they could also have they could also have the uh, six seven for the bottom side of that like that's yep. that's definitely within their range and um, when when you think about their position at the beginning of the flop all their information is that these these other hands have opened and you've three bet so for them to choose to lead into this pot that does indicate a lot of strength that's a good point yeah oh. yeah so. Uh, you put it in here. You're you put yourself in the tank, and I think that's exactly the right thing to do when you're in in a spot like this. And uh, you say, <laughs> all I can think of in my mind is Rob saying, "They've always got it," <laughs> which is often true um, in the games that we're playing. When you see uh, this kind of an action, um, and and you figure two all ins you know, plus the big blind coming along. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that, that someone doesn't have the straight here. Right. So what really becomes the interesting part of, of the post here is after afterwards, when I analyze this hand and, and posted it in the forum here, the question becomes, even if I knew one of them had that straight, should I have folded this hand? Yes. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yep. And well, from that point of view, you're about 30% to make a full house by the river, if Mm -hmm. my math is right. Because right now you have seven outs um, with two streets to come, plus you get another three outs, assuming there isn't a, um, it doesn't already, you don't already have the full house on the turn. So that's going to give you about 30% to hit it by the river. Yep. I have, a, I have a question. Based on this action, how many of those outs are real? How many times does somebody else have pocket eights, pocket nines, uh, jack nine, jack eight? You know, some of those outs are, don't exist in this type of action. When you've got four people, attacking this flop that means some of those cards are already in their hands otherwise mm-hmm. they wouldn't be unless they all have queen jack right you know that they, they all had you know there's some of those outs are are taken and, and you need to take that into consideration when you're thinking about your odds well, that's a great point yes and no because i mean there are cards in all, all parts of the deck, and you're really just saying how likely is of all of the distributions about where those cards could be that they are going to come up in the next two cards on either the flop or the river. So you really need to look at it. Is it is it so likely that they have those cards that that does, in fact, diminish your your uh, percentage, oh. which Rob may have a point they might it might be so pervasive that they have those cards that you are in fact weakening it but if they they have those that's then they don't awesome (laughs) right right right. they have eights and nines like this is a dream spot um so i i'd give up some outs for 
for some of that. I mean, obviously the, the nightmare scenario is one of them has nines and one of them has queen Jack. Right. But um, I don't know. Yeah. And, and uh, if you're listening along at home, so Rob, what Rob's saying, if the board pairs, we would still have an extremely strong hand. We'd either have quads or uh, the biggest full house that's available here. It's just that there are fewer cards in the deck that will pair the board when we can make an educated guess that it's it's more likely that our opponents are holding those cards than others. Just like uh, uh, with like a flush draw or something. If you know your opponent is holding a, a, a one particular card of that suit, then that is less likely that you're going to hit your flush. Yeah, Chris, did you have something to jump in with her? Well, I so like when I now that I've really and I've listened to you talk about this table dynamic and the pro that's leaving shortly and they're short stacked. Um, you have a big blind that's donked out on a on a three bet pot. Um, I am if I'm sitting there, um, I'm highly discounting the big blind lead as a straight. I just don't I don't. I don't think a lot of players are doing that um, because, because it's, it's a four way pot that was three bet. It's very likely that somebody's going to bet at this pot and they're going to get a chance to raise it. So I don't think the big blinds very incentivized to lead out with like queen Jack. And I think that your $65, I'm a pro. I got to go play five ten is really doesn't care about their $65. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did this with like ace nine, you know, they're just like, hope I win. And then otherwise I'm just going to go play my, my bigger game. So I'm like highly discounting. The only player right now that I'm worried about is this under the gun one. That's a very strong play that they've made. Um, but I think that a lot of players, as Jim said, may not raise pre-flop when they're under the gun one. So they could have hands like jacks or queens here that have uh, either an open-ended straight draw or, or they're, they're an overpair with that. They could have eights or nines, which were dominating. They could have a pair plus a, a straight draw, like a jack 10. So there's a lot of stuff in their range that uh, is besides the straight that we're happy to get this in with we're like gleefully like can't get the money in fast enough. And so if they can have any of that, which I think they can, then I think we have to, we have to, to go in ourselves. Um, now, if it's a type of player that I'm just like, they're only doing this with the nuts. That's just it. They just have queen Jack. Then I think it is a tougher decision, but I think maybe we still have to make the call because there's so much money in this pot now, so much dead money. I were I think we're definitely ahead of the big blind and the under the gun player. So I think we probably still have to, even if if we knew they had only the nuts. Yep. Yeah, Rob, did you have something there? I yeah, I was just gonna say there's no possible way I would ever fold this. I would, especially in a one-two game. Um, the, the players are just so loose in these one, two games that I know that, um, like Chris said, there's, it doesn't necessarily have to be the nuts that they would be doing this with. And no matter what, you're going to have redraws to the virtual nuts. So I don't know that I could ever give this up, uh, in a cash game, you know, something in a tournament situation where, you know, it's, it's. 
you know, you, you know, the big blinds are going down and, and you, you know, you're in a, a, a place where you could conserve your stack versus what's going on. There might be situations there where I would fold, but in a cash game, I don't know that I could ever fold top set unless it was a monotone flop. If it was eight, nine, 10, all of one suit, then I might be more inclined to just say, okay, I have to give this up. There's too much going on here. But in this, with this rainbow flop, I'm, I'm putting my money in. I'm trying to stack somebody. John I think I, I'm kind of in the same route where within this situation, I don't think I could fold if the stacks were larger um, so that someone you were had to put $800 in instead of the 200 and the same action, there's a shove before you and lots of other action. Then I think you could probably fold it then because your price isn't as good. Taylor, did you what, have something? Or yeah, sorry, John. Yeah. What really happened here is I fell victim to a, a, a pretty standard amateur um, flaw, and that um, I didn't want to go home. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I had driven to get up there. I had only played for about two hours. I usually can play all night on that one buy-in, and I just finally said to myself, "Well." it's too early for me to go home. I don't have another buy-in in my pocket. It's too early for me to go home. And I, I thought about it for about two minutes and I said, you know, this is going to be a sick fold. Yeah. And I folded it. Yeah. Um, and so the, the um, big blind folded as well. And both of the other two players turned over um Gut shots. Well, no, no, one was open-ended with a backdoor flush draw, and the other was a gut shot with a backdoor flush draw. And, and they were, yeah, queen nine and jack eight. So it was a pair plus the backdoor plus the yep. open-ended for both yep. of so, them. So he had yeah. about the best combo draw that, that yep. you could have there. And after so, everything was over, the big blind turned over the fact that he had a queen. Uh, <laughs> but he was also on on a straight draw. I know we're not results oriented here. Eventually, uh, uh, the straight came in on the river. Um, that doesn't correct my mistake of, of folding these tens here. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Sonsky? Well, I was going to say, it, it really depends upon what your goals are to play poker. If your goal was to make sure that you enjoyed yourself that night, then you absolutely made the right move to be able to make sure that you stayed there. There is nothing wrong with that. If your goal was to play the best poker and give yourself the best equity advantage, then that probably wasn't the right move. That's why whenever I go to to a poker room to play cash, I never go with just one buy-in. I always have two, Mm. maybe three. Uh, partially so that I can playing scared money for most people is not a winning way to play. Some people need that because they tend to be too loose and playing with their last dollar actually makes them play better. For me, it makes me play too timid. Uh, and if I don't have another buy-in in my pocket, I, I would have that same problem and not necessarily make the right move. So I even might buy short rather than put it all on the table at once. 
And, and that's a point I want to reinforce here because uh, Rob also made an excellent point earlier about how maybe in a tournament situation, you'd be more inclined to fold here, um, but in a cash game, you wouldn't. One of the reasons is because you have that ability to reach into your pocket and pull out another buy-in at the cash game and you don't have to go home. Um, and so losing doesn't matter as much in a cash game. Losing your stack doesn't matter as much in a cash game as it does in a tournament. Like personally, I've got a three-five rule. So I bring three buy-ins. And if I am down three buy-ins, it's not my night and so be it. And I leave if I'm up five buy-ins. And that's just, that's the land that I live in. I, I don't play enough that I'm comfortable playing with five times my buy-in on the table if someone else has a big stack. Um, I, I might stick around if no, if everyone else still has just one buy-in or something like that. But um, that's my that's my own personal rule is I, I, I arrive with three and I leave with five. Um, and that's just kind of like how I keep it easy for myself. Um, and then John just brought up an interesting point about the idea that he might, if, if he only had that one buy-in, he might buy in short. Yep. ARW made the same comment in a post that he made in the forum mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never even considered that. Yeah. Cause there's something about having money that's not on the table, which allows you to pull the trigger in spots like this, uh, where it doesn't have to be the end of your night. Right. And I think, uh, that, yeah, I, I I don't know if it was Chris talking about scared money um, or John talking about scared money just now. But what you're doing is you're, yeah, it was John. Uh, you're turning down uh, like a plus EV spot uh, because you're prioritizing this other factor, which, you know, like like Rob and John are saying, that's, that's perfectly legitimate. Um, so when it comes back to the strategy side of it, the only thing that uh, I wanted to keep, um, that I wanted to mention here was, that under the gun plus one, this is the player that I'm really interested in that has overshoved for uh, the extra, what was it, 180 total? Mm-hmm. If it was a two tone board, if there was a flush draw on there, then I think I would be, I think that they might shove with more. Like, I guess, what am I trying to say here? Under what circumstances do we think that player is just going to call with a straight? Like, I think when it's a rainbow board like this, they're actually more likely to call with a straight and not try and sh- scare you and the big blind out uh, because they're not as worried about other players improving to a hand better than a straight, especially if they've got the top end of it. Um, which makes me think that they might be doing this with hands that they don't want anyone else in the pot with. The, the kind of hands that you're describing, like the top pair with a redraw, um, where they, you know, maybe they've got that under the gun player beat or like some of the over over pairs that Chris was mentioning earlier. Um, because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else here in the group thinks similarily about that. Because I, yeah, I, I, know know, I know what you're saying. If If there was a flush draw on the board, there would be a lot more hands that he would be doing this with. Right. Right. There'd be a lot more hands that, um, you know, he'd be doing it with some big flush draws and things like that to try to uh, realize his equity right now. Um, so if, if he had the actual straight with no flush draw out there on the board, 
would he go all in at that point in time? Probably not, because he's probably going to try to get more people involved in the pot. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that second part, but had I seen two diamonds or two clubs out there, then I might have been more inclined to call with the understanding that he was he was shoving on an ace-i flush draw, something of that nature. Yeah, there's more candidates for that shove there. Yeah, Taylor? Yeah, and then the other thing is we like when we think about this hand, like that's the person that we have to be worried about, right? Like they're the person with the deepest stack uh, in terms of you know what costs us the most. Uh, if we are calling wrong or a call and they hit a draw or whatever it may be, um, the one that has the most chips we need to be the most concerned about. And they did take that most aggressive action. So I, I think everyone kind of alluded to it. Like we're worried about that person. And the main reason is just like do the stack size that they have. So being able to understand like, what are they potentially shoving with and what does my hand look like compared against that is really important. So, uh, it's all good things uh, to consider, but the stack size, I think is a huge thing that we need to consider and be aware of here. When the flush draw comes in, makes it easier to call because people might be doing it with, or if there were two to the flush, might be doing it with a flush draw. But it would also make the person who had the um, queen jack more likely to bet bigger as well to yep. protect their equity. Yep. Great point. One, so one thing I'll, oh, go ahead. I was just going to reiterate what was already said. And it, it does make this bet just seem a little bit fishy. Yeah, and I think one one of the things I would add is like, so when we see a flush draw, like a, a two-tone board, right? And we kind of like have that instinctive, like, well, they can have a flush draw and that's what some of their bluffs are. But I think we want to have that same sort of spidey sense for, for rainbow boards, right? And what that means is, is that what those kinds of actions are going to be, are going to be like the, the open-ended because, because there are no flush draws available. They're back doors, if they're anything. So people are going to take those sort of like remove those as their more aggressive actions. And they're going to put in those open-ended straight draws. So the things like Jack eight, Jack nine, Jack 10 Jacks themselves, they make a lot of sense here as, um, types of hands and holdings that people are going to take very aggressive actions with. So just the absence of a, of a, of a two-tone board doesn't mean that people won't find candidates to do that kind of thing with. And that's something I've come away with from this post. I was, you know, it, it it's, we always talk about um, not putting your, putting the opponent on exactly what you play but trying to figure out what they would play again, in my mind, I was thinking I would never do this with anything, but the straight. And therefore um, I'm assigning that to to him rather than the idea that yes, another player might very well be, be, be shoving with uh, an open-ended exactly what he had combination, uh, a pair, an open-ended straight and a backdoor flush draw. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's so many interesting factors about this hand. Like this player is going to go to showdown because the earlier position player has shoved. So this isn't a spot where they can just shove like a, a complete bluff because there there is no fold equity against this under the gun player. So it's going to be a pair plus draw. It's going to be two pair. You know, it's going to be those other sets. Um, and, you know, you're in really good shape against that range 
against that part of your opponent's range, you're crushing that. Uh, so that would be another another interesting side of it because they can't uh, because they're going to showdown for 65 of those dollars. Um, there's they, they that does kind of handcuff them to to some strength of the hand a little bit there. Rob, did you have something there as well? I was just going to say um, when Rob says they always have it. <laughs> That's on the river. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's the river. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. Any, Instructions unclear. That, yeah. Anytime before that, they could have anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Especially if they're leading into you on the river. If they're leading, if you've been keeping it up, and then they're leading into you on the river. Uh, yeah, you're right, Rob. That's that's a good spot for them to have it. Yeah, Chris. One other thing: if you're sitting at this table and you've just, even if you've just folded your tens. And you've seen a big blind lead out in a three bet pot mm. against four opponents with some queen junk hand. Um, that's a good player to take notice of. Yeah, yeah. You'd you'd that that's you'd rather have a second buy in in your pocket. Let me put it that way. <laughs> You're gonna want to stay at that table for a while. <laughs> that's good. And I guess the only other thing we haven't thought about: um, this isn't a tournament, so what you can do with your stack later doesn't really matter as much. But as as much of a bummer as it would be to go home after two hours. It's also pretty sweet to, you know, like triple up your stack in one hand or or you can't quite quadruple up because you cover the other players. But if you can kind of like examine the utility of of that as well, um, the 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 risk and rewards might be closer than you think, because it's 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 nice, you know, taking three players out of the table because you had top set. And now, as we know, the straight would have come in and you would have lost uh, your stack in this one, but don't underestimate the life EV of tripling up at a cash table. You know, that's, that's a fun feeling too. Yeah, Rob. Uh, something else that was mentioned in the post, which we haven't really talked about is the conversation after the hand. Um, mm. I think we, we gave away some information to our opponents that we probably should not have. And John made a point of posting that, it actually had a bearing on a, a a subsequent hand where he had told them that he had folded this. So now all of a sudden he's got the, you know, the, the knit image of somebody who could be scared away from a pot. So I think, you know, when you talk at the poker table, we talk about, you know, we talk about the weather, we talk about the cars we drive, we talk about, you know, family, friends, we talk about, uh, you know, what we do for a living. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We just don't talk about our hands. Yep. And and specifically some of that private information that, you know, you have a choice in making making public. It's funny. We talk on the show. We talk on the show all the time about like the etiquette of sharing information and showing hands. And it's like, a, it's a friendly way to play the game and that sort of thing. And you know, the value of showing a bluff sometimes, right? Because that can impact the game in a good way for you sometimes. But the one thing that comes up often is the one thing you don't want to show is a really disciplined fold <laughs> because it kind of does create this sense that, whoa, this guy's capable of folding. 
which is a rare tool. Like, like, uh, like, I think it's good for that you are looking at spots to find these discipline folds when the action tells you that everyone has it. So, you know, we can calibrate, you know, how to read the action differently or something like that. But, um, you know, I would say just don't show, don't tell, let them wonder. And uh, subconsciously or not, they are going to sort of bluff you more if they think that you're someone who can make very disciplined folds and that's just not going to make your time at the table any more pleasant. Um, generally, uh, you know, it depends, it depends on everyone's playing style, but if, if people are going to bluff you more, that's generally going to put you in a less comfortable position in the long run at that table too, because you're just gonna have to make tougher decisions. And as Rob referred to, it worked in the opposite I assumed, therefore, that he would bluff me more, knowing right. that I was a nit. Right. Um, and I called him off when, in fact, he wasn't bluffing. He got, <laughs> oh, got the no. flush on the river. All right. So, there you go. There you go. So I got double whacked. <laughs> uh, it was the river, and he, they always have it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Touché. Well, that's... We're we're not going to find a better uh, a better takeoff point than that. Uh, thank you, John, for all these wonderful contributions. So so John Kroll has been posting in the forums, and I love that you're taking these spots where you know you could have played it better. And you know, people post in the forums sometimes. I think just to get a pat on the back and for people to say like, "Oh, nothing you could have done there," or you know, way to get max value. But the real people who are trying to learn, the people who are going to get better at poker, are the people that are saying. I think I screwed this up. What are the ways that I could have done this better? And uh, that's how you learn. And that's how we all get better. And and you just, the legacy that you create by having all these other people come and learn from these forum posts in the future is just something that I, I you know, I, I'm very grateful for you for, for putting up there. So thank you again. You're welcome. And as you just said, I learn a lot more from these posts than I do from getting a pat on the back. So yeah. That's right. Well, we're in it to win it. No pain, no gain. Um, unless you are over at the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, because it's just nothing but fun over there. And thank you also to website Mark and Rob, Chris, Taylor, John and John, and all these great posters. And you, the listeners. Thank you.